Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. First and foremost, um, the whole idea that we had a, a livid, or I was livid with the, the conversation, that was completely false. We had a very uh, cordial and adult conversation about the matter. Um, as far as Wilson, like I have nothing but respect for the guy. It doesn't change our relationship uh, between one another. Um, and he busts his ass every day. Uh, I have ultimate respect for him. But my only main concern was just having an open dialogue with the front office and coaching staff of my initial frustration of why there was uh, these extreme splits with different catchers. Um, more so the matter is uh, it's all on me. It's just I, I'm just trying to look for an answer. Do you still have a concern over who catches you? Uh, as of right now, no. Um, I'm just working on... Um, becoming more consistent with whoever's behind the plate. And I'm going to go out there and compete with whoever is behind the plate. What do you attribute the dramatic split to? Uh, I'm not really sure. I just, uh, I know in terms of like pitchers and catchers, there's a, a certain it factor. There's a, a relationship, like a symbiotic relationship that uh, two guys can possess. And it's just uh, all about the being comfortable out there. Did you know the public forum was coming? Did you have anything to do with that being taken into a public forum? I have no idea, no. Are you okay that it did get leaked? Um, it is unfortunate that uh, the private conversation I had with the, the front office and the coaching staff became public, but uh, it is what it is right now. No, you know what? Noah understands that I'm going to make the lineup out, and he's going to go out there and compete for the team. He understands that we're trying to do something special here and get to the playoffs, and that everything else is separated from that. So we're going to continue to put the best players on the field at all times, and every one of our uh, players in there is going to compete to the best of their ability and only worry about the team, like we were talking about with Pete. That's all you can do, and, and I think Noah does a great job of that. Noah and I met ongoing dialogue with many of our players over the course of the season. Um, specifically with Noah, 
we had dialogue going back to earlier in the season where we had an opportunity to hear his thoughts. We were able to share information for him and have an ongoing conversation about what's in the best interest of the team and what gives us the best chance to win. Welcome to another Talking Mets podcast short. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva, here on this Wednesday, September the 11th, 2019. You can check me out all the time at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I told you guys on Sunday, we'll see what happens, you know, with the night game coming up with uh, the Dodgers on Sunday, and... You know, maybe I pop in with a short if, if news breaks during the week. I really didn't think that it would be necessary, especially after what happened last week and how we had the whole Nationals meltdown and we did that podcast and, and away you go. And uh, I thought we would have some time where maybe we wouldn't even <laughs> know what's going on here and we really want to make these podcasts relevant and, and tied into the, the wild card race that's tightening up every day. But that's not why I'm coming to you here on this Wednesday morning, uh, I'm coming to you here about another controversy, and this one involves Noah Syndergaard, the personal catcher, uh, Wilson Ramos, and and of course our usual suspects, the media, and uh, a leak. The Mets have a very leaky faucet, not a literal leaky faucet, but a leaky faucet in their organizational clubhouse that seems to enjoy spreading some of the uh, things that should stay internally out to the world, and that's a huge problem. But uh, I could unpack all that and get to that in this uh, this short podcast. But I'm going to read you something right now that I found from uh, from. A, I'll tell you the. I don't want to tell you the source right now because it'll give it away. But I'm going to read this to you. So, and then you you think as I'm reading who who this is in reference to. And these are just quotes from an article. He's my right-hand man on the field. I depend on him as much as anybody to get the signs, to get the pitch-outs, to get the throw-overs, to call the, a game, to throw people out, to block balls in the dirt. That is a big, big responsibility, and the better your catcher is, the better your team will probably be. Another quote from that same article. Our pitchers like throwing to him, and if he does something questionable, then Mike will say something, or sometimes I might su- suggest something. What I've noticed is that he can pick up on what I'm trying to do. So as the game goes on, I'll probably shake him less and less. If you don't know who I'm referring to at this point, it's Wilson Ramos and and who these quotes are from. They're from Dusty Baker and they're from uh, Joe Ross, who he, Joe Ross was one of the pitchers on the national staff back in 2016. Now, I understand that this is an article from the Washington Post in 2016. And I know Wilson Ramos is three years older. I'm very aware about catchers over 30 and uh, how that goes. He's 31 years old now. I also know that he had a very serious knee injury that changes a lot of maybe what you're you're reading there. But I also know that a knee injury, even though it may compromise the defense to a certain degree, and we've seen some of that with Ramos this year, 
doesn't take away some of the inherent skills that are described in that piece that I just put out there. Now, maybe you're going to say that's the Washington Post. It's a homer piece in the middle of a good season, 2016. Uh, but be that as it may, you can't tell me that Wilson Ramos has lost all that. And I'm the first to say that I haven't been crazy about his defense all year. And I'm the first to say that he wasn't my first choice when the Mets went into the offseason looking at catchers. He was probably number three or four because I was looking for somebody who was a little bit more defensive-minded. And we all know the Mets' number one choice was JT Realmuto, and that just didn't become realistic. And then there was Yasmani Grandel, and that negotiation short-circuited pretty quick because he was looking for more money. And the Mets, fearing that they'd be shut out, jumped to number three, which was Wilson Ramos. I even had said at the beginning of the offseason, go with a straight defensive catcher who has a little bit of pop, like Martin Maldonado, and, and they didn't. So uh, I think we all have to put out there that we're not talking about a catcher here that is completely lost. We're not talking about a catcher, even though he, he could certainly use the DH, that is 100% a DH at this point. What I do know when I start and look at this is that Noah Syndergaard, over the last two years, really ever since he pitched that really great outing against the Giants in the wild card game has continued to be less and less of who everybody expected him to be. His strikeout rate has declined over 10%. Uh, he's eminently more hittable. Even if you go back to last year where his record was solid, where he was uh, he was at that point, I believe he was yeah, 13-4. and four. He had an August where he gave up more hits than innings. There are plenty of games he won in 2018 where he was not dominant. And last I looked in 2017 when he was the guy that went out there and did a workout program that many believe led to him tearing his lat. He was the guy that uh, was responsible. Wilson Ramos wasn't anywhere near the Mets. Wilson Ramos wasn't on the Mets last year in 2018. Uh, And then this year, Wilson Ramos comes uh, aboard and the numbers that have been declining steadily since 2016... Um, have gone to the point where Noah Syndergaard is about a league average pitcher. Uh, at times this year, has been a lot less and has, has made me question after so many people sought after him in the offseason if it was the right move to keep him, not because of anything financial, not because he's, he's getting older and more expensive and the risks that come with his high uh, stress delivery, but does Noah Syndergaard really understand what it takes to pitch? And will he evolve? Because as you go along, as you've seen guys like DeGrom and Mats and Wheeler, you've seen that every pitcher from rookie year to now, no matter how talented each one of those guys is, has to have some kind of evolution. And is Noah Syndergaard having that evolution? And is he able to do it? Does he want to do it? And the bigger question I have when I think about what Noah Syndergaard, a lot of with this whole catcher splits, Syndergaard has talked about being unathletic there on the mound in recent starts, even when he's been pitching well. Maybe that was code for, I don't want to pitch to Ramos. But the last I also looked is that a catcher doesn't have anything to do with a pitcher feeling unathletic. That's That feeling is from within side. I don't know if throwing to a catcher can do that. I do know this. I do know that it is not unreasonable if you're a manager or you know front office and the pitcher to put your pitcher in a position for success. And I'm not totally opposed to 
matching catchers up with certain pitchers. The problem I have is within the context of the team. And I think the one thing that I hear throughout, you heard in those clips, is that Mickey Calloway and, and, and Brody, maybe not all the clips I've had leading into the show, but clips that were bandied about the internet throughout the last couple of days, is that whatever is best for the team, the Mets are going to do. Because the Mets truly are trying to achieve a goal, which is to make the playoffs and potentially move on in that playoffs and, and go as far as they can go. And when I look at the Mets' offense, which now that they're healthy and whole is exciting, even though they haven't really shown that in the last couple of games, I look at the offense with Ramos and I look at the offense without Ramos. And you could justify maybe not going with Ramos as much now than you did just a couple of months ago. Because when you start to look at catchers throughout baseball, there's really only a couple of catchers. If you just want to rank these guys by OPS+, plus, there's only a couple of catchers as of today that are better than Wilson Ramos. Uh, you've got Carson Kelly. You've got Yasmanio Grandel. You've got Gary Sanchez. And you've got Omar uh, Narvaez. I believe that's how... Narvaez. Narvaez from... Narvaez from Seattle. Apologize there for mispronouncing it. Wilson Ramos has been as good as JT Real Muto, the guy the Mets wanted this year. Um, he's been better than guys like Buster Posey, who was on the downside of his career. And when you start to look at uh, catchers who are basically just straight catchers, they're not DHing a lot, they're not playing other positions, you basically got Grandel, Ramos, Real Muto. Those are the guys that are playing majority of their games at catcher. Real Muto will pop in at first base uh, from time to time. Now, I'm not suggesting that Ramos is better than Real Muto because let me tell you right now, you probably want Real Muto. You, not probably. You want Real Muto because of what he brings leadership-wise, defensively. He's a better player. What I'm saying is offensively, for the Mets, for where they're at, Ramos is as good as Real Muto is. And there were times this year, as I go up and down the Mets roster, when they weren't healthy, and Cano wasn't hitting, and Frazier wasn't hitting, and Lagaris had not found his second half renaissance, so to speak. You had guys like Lagaris and Carlos Gomez. And, you, you know, you had lost Brandon Nemo at that point. You had Keon Broxton, Aaron Altair, uh, guys like that in the lineup. And those days where you have a Cano that's not hitting, a Rosario not hitting, you have Lagaris or Gomez out there, you have Keon Broxton out there, you know, Conforto was hurt for a while. You had a lineup where it was Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil, and whatever you got around them was good enough. And even Ramos wasn't hitting. So if you took Ramos out of those lineups when he started to hit, and the guy's been hitting about 400 for about six weeks, catching literally every day, a demanding position for a guy that, again, had that knee surgery just a couple of years ago, is north of 30. And you say to yourself, well, why would you take him out of the lineup? And why is it that Noah Syndergaard can't find a way to bridge the gap with his catcher? I've questioned a lot of things that have been uh, related to pitch calling this year. Maybe that has something to do with Wilson Ramos. I certainly have seen Ramos, and I've even seen Mickey Calloway quote that there's been times with blocking pitches that he's called them lazy plays. Maybe it goes back to Ramos just not, at times throughout a, a baseball season, feeling physically that good. I do know with the way the Mets are built right now that the drop-off from Ramos to Thomas Nito or Rene Rivera is steep. 
Maybe right now, Rene Rivera, because he had a good year at AAA and we've seen what he can do offensively, maybe he's a better offensive-defensive complement than Nito. Now, I get it. Nito's uh, defensive metrics, his framing is top 20, and maybe it'd be better. Maybe he'd be up there with Real Muto and Austin Hedges and, and things like that. And I know Yasmani Grandel, the guy that Mets wanted before Ramos, is a better framer. I haven't seen enough of Grandel over the course of the season to see how he compares to Ramos. But I also know that Grandel's a guy that was benched in the playoffs. And I know what you're going to say. Well, if they could bench Grandel, why can't they bench Ramos? In the context of the team, in the context of what at one point Jorge Posada was to the Yankees when they used to bench him for A.J. Burnett, for Grandel, those teams, I think, needed their catcher offensively less than this team at times during the season. Now, you can argue it more now, but with how hot Ramos has been, I can't see where anybody could sit back and say it's a good idea to bench a guy that's hitting 400. Not a guy that's a ground ball machine. Not the guy earlier in the year that you question, oh man, this guy's done. And I can't understand how a pitcher who is as good, at least in his mind, as Noah Syndergaard, can say, well, you know, I don't want that offense. He didn't seem to mind that he was staked to a three-run lead on Sunday, and 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 two-thirds of that was because of Wilson Ramos. And the problem I have with all this is that DeGrom didn't seem to have a problem the last couple of days. Lugo didn't seem to have a problem. Wheeler didn't seem to have a problem. Matz has pitched outstanding in the second half. And Jason Vargas, who's imminently hittable as as his stuff would indicate, had a really good year for the Mets. Looked better with the Mets than he did when the Mets faced him when he had JT Real Muto as his catcher a couple of Saturdays ago. So I have a lot of problems with it. I understand, Noah. I'm not saying that it's the totally most crazy, ridiculous request. But I think Noah is searching for scapegoats for why he's not the guy that we saw in 2016. And I'll tell you what. Maybe 2016 was an outlier. Because, I mean, maybe he, I mean, obviously the league has caught up to him. But as you get more and more to the last couple of years and you look at his first year when he was 22 years old coming up from, uh, from AAA, Noah Syndergaard of 2015, which was really good and pitched really good in the postseason and finished in the top four for Rookie of the Year, mirrors very much the guy that we saw last year and to a certain degree at times the guy that we've seen this year. Noah Syndergaard, when he first came up, wasn't unhittable. There were so many games you would look at, and he would he would frustrate you. But you knew it was talent. He was talented, and you would you would hope for improvement. You know, you know the strikeouts are going to be there. You know that, and even a ten percent or so drop off in strikeouts to me doesn't indicate health issues. It means like maybe he's trying to be a little more efficient too with his pitches. Syndergaard continues to show me that. Not sure he's a guy that when he's not perfect and doesn't have everything going in his favor and doesn't have his best stuff, that he can navigate those games. There are guys like that. And those guys tend to leave you wanting. Noah Syndergaard for his career has been very good. He hasn't been elite like DeGrom. For all the cartoon character stuff, all the pomp and circumstance, all the talk, all the passive-aggressive stuff that you heard out of him over the last couple of days... Very good pitcher, but not the guy that 
I think if I had a choice, I, I always have said this. I've said this for many, many, many years. I said this in 2016 when he was having that great year that at times you thought he'd win the Cy Young Award. If I had one game to win, and this is before Jacob deGrom won the Cy Young Award, it'd be Jacob deGrom that I'd give the ball. He showed me a lot in that Game 5. And let me tell you, that Game 5 was as much Noah Syndergaard with that one-inning relief stint as it was deGrom. But deGrom was the horse that game. deGrom got them through the meat and potatoes of that game. So at the end, what I'm saying is this is less about the catcher-pitcher relationship as it is with Noah Syndergaard figuring out what's going on because I don't think it's Wilson Ramos. Wilson Ramos is not a feel for the ball. Wilson Ramos is not the unathletic uh, feeling out there. He has nothing to do with between the years. Uh, maybe some of it because of the comfort level. Now, if the Mets feel at the end of the year that all this offense they're getting from Ramos is being uh, is overshadowed by poor uh, play calling, and I, I think the game calling, and I've seen this with Diaz sometimes. I'm wondering if that's the pitcher shaking. And I have to look at it more closely, or is that the catcher calling a game? I mean, Diaz has struggled, and Nito has been in some of those games. You can't justify the downgrade from Wilson Ramos, one of the better hitting catchers in all of baseball, one of the better hitters on the team on some days, to Thomas Nito, who is hitting like a pitcher. And I don't care what you frame. And the other thing about the stolen bases, because that'll come up too, the stolen bases on this staff, you could have JT Real Muto, you could have Johnny Bench behind the plate. The stolen bases are largely due to this staff's inability for years to hold runners on. DeGrom's the only one that's halfway decent with it, and even he struggled this year. And I'm not sure why, and, and, and maybe that's something for someone to uncover an interview, but I've seen DeGrom struggle with that. Doesn't matter how good your arm is, if those guys get a good jump, way baseball is, even with a, a two-second turnaround time, less than two-second turnaround time, they're going to steal the base. These are pros. Luckily, we're not living in the 80s because if, if we were, we'd have serious problems with the Mets. I think the Cardinals would steal 700 bases a game. They may not need to get a hit to score runs off the Mets if it was the 80s Cardinals. So that, to me, is the issue. What, you know, and, and I'll tell you where this is leading, and we'll get more into this because we talked a little bit about this when it ties into the bullpen and Seth Lugo on uh, Sunday. Ties into the Mets having to make a huge decision. I thought, as the second half went along, you're definitely going to offer Wheeler the qualifying offer and see what happens there. I think what will happen, and I still believe this is what's going to happen, is Lugo's going to be in the rotation next year. And the Mets are going to have to, and I thought maybe, well, it'll be Lugo or Wheeler, and you go to war with the rest. But I think now you have to seriously consider not because he pitched well last night, which one of the two, Wheeler or Syndergaard, is a better bet in the next three to four years? And then you trade the other or let the other walk. You get the draft pick with Wheeler. You get prospects or big leaguers with Syndergaard. And then you slide Lugo in the rotation. Because for a 101 ERA plus league average, you don't need a lot to get that somewhere else I think Seth Lugo could be better than that I know Seth Lugo could be better than that and I think he could give you five or six innings and I, I tell you what I bet you'd hear less from him in the media he'd tweet less and I, and I know for damn sure he wouldn't be a cartoon character and those are the issues I have because at the end 
Syndergaard's more worried about that than he is about his craft or worried about finding scapegoats than he is about his craft. He'll never be who he wants to be. I don't care who he's throwing to. I don't care what city he's in. I don't care what marketing he does. Now, the fact that it got out there and Syndergaard has denied he or his agent have done that is the bigger issue in a lot of ways. Because now we've seen that with the Brody Chair incident. I don't think it's any any coincidence it's the New York Post that has been uh, getting that. I respect Kevin Kernan, and I don't think Kevin Kernan was trying to stir the pot like some others on the Mets beat or in the media have. I really don't. I think he was given information. Kevin's a baseball guy. He likes to make his columns about baseball. And this is a baseball story. Mets have gone down this rabbit hole before. Go back to the early 90s. They had Charlie O'Brien. They had Mackie Sasser. They had Rick Cerrone on the 91 Mets. Everybody wanted to pitch to somebody. Nobody wanted to pitch to Sasser. Sasser was the best out of the three offensively. Truthfully, different situation. Sasser had a throwing problem, and that is a problem. David Cohn actually talked about it in his book. David Cohn talked about personal catchers in his book. The problem is, in the context context of the team, who is best for the team in the whole decision-making is who should be playing. And you also have a problem here where you can't have the inmates run the asylum. You can get feedback. But at the end, the decision has to be made by the manager, or in these days, by the manager slash front office. The leak is more concerning because where is it coming from? If it's not coming from Syndergaard and his agent, is it coming from another player? What's the deal with the player? If they, you know, Why is he leaking that? Is it coming from a member of the coaching staff? Hard to believe because why would you want to put your own manager and your own coaching staff in the line of fire? I mean, Island... Uh, you could you could blame him, but he hasn't been there in a while. So how does he even know? Is he still keeping in touch with people? Is Island a a source on that on that whole thing? I would have thought earlier in the year. Now not so much. Where is it coming from? And is it from the front office? And is it somebody that is not from Brody's circle? That someone is a leftover? And then the bigger question is, and I know there's some conspiracy theories out there because I know the owner likes to talk to the press. Is it the owner? And why would he do that unless he's mad? And this could be true. This could be something that's going on. He's mad at Syndergaard and he wants to expose him for who he is. In the middle of a wild card race, I don't care if you like the odds, and certainly the energy has been let out of the balloon since that Washington game. You could tell by the crowds this week. What you saw, the beautiful thing you saw late August, is for the most part gone. You may, I think you'll get some of it back against the Dodgers this weekend. So why would you put more water on the fire here? when it comes to energy and enthusiasm for this team, by throwing out a non-story, really, because this happens. This should have been, in, it's a story, but it's a non-story within the context. should be within the team when the real story is, should be on the field. Because it ties into the other part. The media agenda all year is to make this, te- make this team look incompetent. Whether it be the chair-throwing incident, the poking of Mickey, the... Lack of analyzing what the talent they have on the field is. The lack of analyzing in depth any of the moves and the context of where they are in their life cycle as a team. Uh, It's been to make them look incompetent. And I don't think this makes them look incompetent. This is normal. This goes on. But the question is, why can't they keep their stuff internally? And I'll tell you what, I don't care who the leak is. If they find out who it is, you got to plug it. Because this will happen next year. If you believe that the Mets are the only team or the only disputes that happen on a ball club happen when the media finds out, you're fooling yourself. They happen all around the league, 
all 30 teams, including the team that's got, you know, one of the, you know, the most wins or tied for the most wins in baseball across town. They all happen. This happened all the time. You know, this was a big topic of conversation on Girardi's Yankees. The, the year they won the championship in 2009 with Burnett. Burnett, another guy, you know, that needed perfection. And maybe Syndergaard's a lot like Burnett. Maybe that's a, a very good comparison. And there's nothing wrong with that. Burnett was a solid pitcher, but he never was top of the rotation or elite. You'll make money being that. But, you're, you know, to me, then you calling yourself some kind of cartoon character to me is... Uh, is a little bit of an inflation. And the best, and, the, and remember, they tied, there was some of this floating around. Well, when Brody was a G, uh, an agent last year, he said that DeGrom should ask for his personal catcher. And now he's saying it doesn't matter. And I, I was reading around some story, you know, stories last night, analytics about those who have done studies that it's not as big of a difference between one catcher and the, and the other when you dive into the numbers. And look, this is not about a, a, a statistical equation you know, with the axis and all that. It's not about that, because you could make that justification statistically. This is about between the ears, and it's also about what you see. Clearly, Nito's a better catcher than Ramos behind the plate, but you're getting another pitcher up there. Maybe worse. I mean, at times, there were points of the season when the Mets were injured and struggling where you had three hitters in the lineup. That's three innings a game where you have a legitimate chance to score, and if you don't, and if Alonzo and McNeil went, went soft, you, that's not helping anybody. I don't care if, I mean, unless no Syndergaard wants to win zero to negative one, which I don't know how that would happen. So for them to say, well, when Brody was here versus there, he wanted DeGrom with Mezzarocco, different situation. Mezzarocco was the best offensive option, as well as the best defensive option, especially when DeGrom pitched. And Brody was an agent doing his job, and his, Noah's agent, if he's involved, is doing his job. And just because you have a job to do on one end doesn't mean when you go on the other end if this is not a, a a political ideology it's a job you're doing and there's debates to each side and when you're in one position versus the other that doesn't mean that you have this like hardcore belief in everything about let's let's check off Brody's belief system he's not running for office and by the way you could evolve and when you go to the other side of the table if you are a true professional and you're trying to do your job you will evolve Maybe some of the people, especially the media, can't wrap their heads around that. But this is not about checking a box and these are my principles and I'm going to stick by them. This is baseball. This is analyzing players and situations, each of which is unique. And if you don't understand that, then you don't get life. Forget about baseball. And that's why that argument doesn't hold water. The main point here is plug the leak. It'll do you good for 2020. And plug the leak for the rest of the year. Focus on baseball because they're three games out. Yelich is out for the year. This is going to be a Herculean task because this bullpen's a mess. And this Lugo not being able to go back-to-back -back is a huge problem. And even last night, letting Dia, uh, Wilson, with his arm ready to fall off, face a, a guy like Flores who kills lefties because you didn't trust Diaz, to me is a problem. I would have put Diaz back in the sauce. But that's another story for another day. That's not what this, this podcast is about. So at the end of the day... Noah's got to look in the mirror, and whether he throws to Nito, Rene Rivera, Ramos, God behind the plate, he's got to step up and perform. He's got to find out with the context of the game plan. I'm sure a pro like Wilson Ramos, who is good enough for Scherzer, has been good enough to catch three no-hitters, was good enough for the Nationals, and that year I believe he was top three in, in catcher ERA, which is probably an overrated stat, 
that's the stat that's been cited throughout this controversy with Syndergaard. If he was good enough for those guys, and he's been good enough to catch those Strasburgs of the world, then he's good enough for Noah Syndergaard. And he's good enough for this staff, which at times has left everybody wanting, despite the hype behind them. It's about baseball. It's about charging to the playoffs. It's about winning as many games as possible. This is not about coddling someone's emotions and making them feel better about themselves going to 2020. Last year, when you're out of the race, you could start doing those things. This year, it's about results. It should always be about results, and that's the way I feel. So that's it. Hope you enjoyed this Talking Mets podcast short. Uh, where, when will I be back? I know the Met game is on uh, Sunday night, so we'll have to figure Sunday out. Stay tuned for more. I'll let you guys know. Go to Twitter at Mike Silva Media for information about the uh, the next podcast. Of course, you can check me out all the time at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G, and I'll be there, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another podcast soon. Take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.